Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Well, let me add my welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us online today. My name is Howard. It's my privilege to lead a fantastic team here at Westminster Chapel. And to state the obvious, we have been living through a global pandemic now for many, many weeks, and it's brought much hardship and suffering to a lot of people. People have lost loved ones, people have lost jobs. And if that's you, our heart goes out to you, our prayers are with you. If, you, if we can support you in any way, please do let us know. But today I want to talk about another epidemic that actually preceded the coronavirus. And if anything, it's been made worse through the necessary social distancing and isolation measures that our governments have put in place. It is the loneliness epidemic. According to the Loneliness Lab, only 7% of Londoners would say that the city of London is a, is a good city in which to make friends. Research says that loneliness is as bad for your health as obesity, as destructive as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And that the younger that you are, the lonelier you are likely to feel. I don't know about you, but there are moments right now in this crisis, and certainly even before it, where I felt really actually quite lonely. And quite low as a result of that. I often would think of the character Eponine from one of my favorite musicals, Les Miserables, who has this wonderful ballad. Maybe you know it. She sings, On My Own. That, that was pretty terrible, sorry. Uh, but I think you get the point. That's why I'm back here uh, in the auditorium, Westminster Chapel, uh, to remind myself not so much of the building, great as it is, but of the living stones, the friendship, the joy, the life of, of, of you that make up the church. I miss you. I want to be a part of, of that. I love our friendship, but I think God wants our friendship to deepen and grow, especially as this place grows and fills up. It would be so sad if this place was absolutely packed to the rafters and full, yet still felt as empty and echoey as it does right now as I'm speaking to you. I have to recognize that the loneliness epidemic isn't just a societal problem, that it's a problem with me. It's actually a problem with all of us. So I would say quite often, I want to have real friends, but I'm just too busy and I'm too lazy, if anything, to invest, to, to, to go after and make those friendships. I'm too busy with email and social media with a whole load of weak ties rather than investing in, in deep ties. For others, uh, avoiding friendship doesn't happen because friendships become quite selfish. I want to get something out of this, this friendship or that there are those then who would say that, that friendship's such a high ideal for them that no one can ever live up to it. So why bother? Why, why go through all of that? Strangely as well, as though the data says that quite a lot of us are actually lonely, not all of us would be able to admit to that, which is interesting, I think, in itself. And until, though, you ask some pretty probing questions like, who are your real friends? How many true friends do you have? How often do you spend time with them? And it starts to get a bit painful to, to answer that. And this lack of deep friendship is pretty damaging to us as individuals. I would say it's also damaging to the witness of, of the church. The church is meant to be the community of committed friends coming, coming together to care and, and support each other. 
Um, and it's important that we reveal that and show a great friendship amongst ourselves and to those not in the church that reveals to them the friendship available in God. Without this deep friendship, without deep connections with others, there's a part of us that is dying. Loneliness is not what God intended. Right at the start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, God says it is not good for mankind, man, to be alone. So Adam and Eve are created to go and, and build families. In Psalm 68, God says that he sets the lonely in families, that he can lead us out of the prison of loneliness with joy, with, with singing and happiness, because we're part of a community uh, together. So don't think in your mind, though, our oh, family, that means mom, dad, and 2.4 kids. No, actually, in Scripture, family is more the community of the people of God. And certainly in the New Testament, the second kind of big block of, of the Scriptures, church is family. You see, we need to find healing from individualitis that is plaguing the Western church that makes us think that church is about me is about getting my needs and my wants my desires uh, sorted fixed all of that sort of stuff so the worship should be exactly as i like it you know people should be wearing the clothes i like on the stage and platforms and all that kind of thing church is not about that church is about glorifying jesus we are here for him for his fame and renown to be made known and we discovered that we find our greatest joy in glorifying him and an outflow of that is serving others as a result of serving him and that's what we see the early church doing this great community of committed friends in acts chapter 4 they are sharing sacrificially everything that they had holding it in common to the point where it says there was no need among them wow <laughs> wow Paul, who wrote Romans chapter 12 that was read to you a few minutes ago, had this phenomenal encounter with God. He was killing Christians. He wanted to destroy the Christian faith so that it might never get going. And then he meets the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. He repents. He renounces that way of living to become the great preacher of the gospel. And in all of his first century writings, he only says, my Lord, once. He says, our Lord, though, about 53 times. And now in Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 10, he's saying, devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to each other with a brotherly love. It's, it's a strong word. It means with the flesh and blood, love of a sibling, sacrificially give yourselves to each other. Honor others above yourself. Consider others more important than yourself. I actually find that a, a hard command to follow for, for at least two reasons. The first of those is I'm not a touchy-feely person. Uh, I'm more likely to want to organize you than hug you. I'm sorry about that. That's just part of the way that I'm wired. I'm learning and trying to change as best as I can. Um, but I need examples. I need this fleshed out. I need more insight. What does this look like? And we're going to try and do that together in a few moments. The second issue that I have is I just don't think I have the power to persistently consistently live as such such a good friend i'm not a great friend i already feel condemned about how bad a friend i am and then i need some hope i need something else to strengthen and empower me and we'll get to that there is someone else and his friendship allows us empowers us to be great 
friends, even though we ourselves are not good friends. There's grace coming. But firstly, let's look at fleshing this out. Let's go back to scripture to one of the greatest friendships I think we can find there. And it's between David and Jonathan. Roughly about 3,000 years ago, and it speaks of true and real friendship. But we have to just qualify this because the language that's used um, is that David loved Jonathan, Jonathan loved David. And in our 21st century, we typically tend to sexualize the word love when we see it. But that, that wasn't the context at all. Um, at the time this story is being told and written down, that goes against, it's just completely inconsistent with the whole sweep of Jewish culture, the narrative that's around it. It just doesn't fit at all. Even the Hebrew word that you would use there for, for love doesn't mean that. If you were looking to use some kind of sexual connotation there, you would have used the word yada. That is, that is not there. What is being described is a beautiful picture of brotherly love, the fleshing out of, for us, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to look at three stories together. The first of those is from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Hello, good morning, everyone. Today we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 9. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops on Saul's offices as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lyres. As they, stand, as they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry with this refrain. This pleased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can be get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Jonathan is one of the great unsung heroes in Scripture. What he's doing here in this passage is, is actually quite extraordinary. He is surrendering his own claim to the throne by giving of his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, his, his belt. To David, he's basically saying, I renounce my claim to be king. He could have pushed himself forward. He was the son of Saul. He could have made sure that he was next in line. He could have been really ambitious and all of that. But instead, no, he wants to sacrifice himself to lift his friend up. Wow. I wonder if that's the kind of friend that, that you are. Would you be willing to sacrifice yourself, to give up your time, your energy, to inconvenience yourself in, in some way to, to serve your, your friends? The Bible encourages us to carry each other's burdens. So the thing is, if we are to pick up someone else's burden, but actually not find ourselves inconvenienced or there's a hardship 
or a cost to us in some way, we have to ask ourselves, are we really carrying anything at all? So during this coronavirus crisis, what burdens could you carry for others? How could you express and show friendship to them? So the second story then is from 1 Samuel chapter 19. Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 19 from verse 1 to verse 7. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. Jonathan speaks well of David to his father, Saul. Saul, by this point, has become pretty crazy with envy and coming out of all of his insecurities. Saul is a man who lives for the approval of others, finds his worth in that, and David's getting a lot more praise than him, and he's going a bit crazy, and he wants to kill David. And and so Jonathan comes in to sort of defend David to his father and and to support him and, and to encourage him in that. See, friends are advocates in that sense, you know. I used to, used to make my money as a courtroom advocate. My job was to plead my client's case to the best of my abilities, to put his point of view forward, to argue his claim. And that's what friends should do. They should argue for their friends, be a loyal defender of their friends. A British publication once ran a competition for the best definition of friend. And of the thousands of entries, they had this little list before they announced the winner. First up, a friend is one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. A friend is one who understands our silence. A friend is a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. The winning definition was a friend is one who comes in when the whole world goes out. I actually really like the definition of friend from Proverbs chapter 18, that a friend is someone who sticks closer, that is closer than even a brother. True friendship is about guarding and protecting others, um, your friend. 
Uh, it's about standing up for them, speaking up for them when they might be being unfairly treated. True friends understand the kind of ambiguities, the complexities of another, and they, and they defend them and guard them when others misinterpret, misunderstand. Um, they speak up for their friends before a boss, even if that might cost them their job. They, they protect their friend if others are gossiping or criticizing them behind their, their back. They're there. They don't turn their back. They stand back to back with their friend in times of difficulty and crisis. That's what real friends are meant to do. So we've had so far two stories. The first is a story about sacrificial friendship. Friendship is sacrificial. It's costly in some way. The second story is that friendship is adversarial. It's about defending, guarding our friends from harm and difficulty. Here's the third story from 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23 verses 15 to 18. While David was at Horesh, in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. There was a mad, crazy, powerful king chasing after David with an army. And that meant that, of course it was Saul, but that meant that David was having to hide in caves and move from place to place to place out in the wilderness. It was very uncomfortable, constantly living under the threat of death. Now, you may be able to identify with David now more than ever because it feels to you like there is a mad, crazy, powerful virus that is seeking to take you down and try and kill you. This ongoing fight or, or flight response that David was, was living in was exhausting for him. And it's probably exhausting for you living in the coronavirus season too. And as a result of this tiredness, this fatigue, discouragement had set in for David. He was, he was feeling really low. Right now, I think there are more discouraged people around than, than ever. And most of us, we're going kind of up and down in the kind of roller coaster ride that we're on. People are discouraged. Discouraged about financial difficulties, suffering, despairing at the loss of, of, of loved ones. It's, it's really tough right now. So what does a true friend do? What does Jonathan do? Does he wait for his friend David to tell him how he's feeling, that he's feeling discouraged? No, Jonathan knows. Jonathan puts himself in, in the shoes of his friend and he gets it, he knows. So he was able to, to slip away from his dad and, and the army to, to get out of all of that, to go. And that's, that's risky because remember, David is the guy they're chasing after. <laughs> David's the enemy, but he manages to slip away to spend time with his friend, to encourage his friend. It says to strengthen his friend in God. Do you know, that's so important. What does Jonathan do? He reminds David about God's plans, God's purposes, God's promises. He, I believe, would have taken him back and said, do you, do you not remember that Samuel the prophet came and said, one day you will be king? That hasn't come to pass yet. You can trust that promise. David, be, David, be strong. Remember the way that God enabled you to defeat the giant Goliath, that miraculous victory, and then all the other victories that you've had since then. David, God is, God is with you. 
And then he pledges his own support and says, and David, I am with you. And this enables David, he's been living in this storm of, of chaos and it brings David back into the kind of eye of the storm. This friendship allows David to come into the eye of the storm to be there with his friend Jonathan and to find some sanity whilst there's all this chaos going on around him. Is that the kind of friend that you are? It's a really high standard. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 17, that a friend loves at all times, at all times. Jonathan is, is able to sneak out a great risk to himself from his crazy, like, despotic dad in order to encourage, to be a present encourager to his friend. Surely in this time of lockdown, with all of the technology available to us, we can find ways to be true and real friends, encouragers to those who need us right now. The big question has been, are you that kind of friend? Is this the kind of friend you are, this sacrificial, adversarial, encouraging friend? Is that the kind of friend you are? Or are you, like me, finding it really hard to live up to this very high standard, not actually for a little bit, maybe crushed by it like, like I do? I actually don't think it's really possible to be this kind of friend without receiving the grace of a greater friendship, a perfect friendship, which of course can be found only in God himself. God in Jesus Christ is called the friend of sinners. And when we experience his friendship, it empowers us to be this kind of friend to others. And it's an extraordinary friendship that God himself would come from heaven to earth and he's the true and better Jonathan who kind of derobes himself of his majesty, gives up his rights in order to serve us and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. To die, the holy, awesome God offers us friendship through his death on a cross. To take away all of our sinful unfriendliness, our unkindness, our selfishness, our evil, our dirtiness, our wrongdoing, all of that. Yet he comes in spite of us being a terrible friend, not just to others, but above all to God. He comes to sacrificially serve us and save us. This is, this is amazing. It's one of the themes that's picked up in so many films and stories that are around. You think of Armageddon, Bruce Willis's character, one man dying to save the world, or Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games, you know, standing in the place of her sister, so that her sister doesn't have to suffer or potentially die. Or Captain Miller uh, and the team, Tom Hanks's character, saving Private Ryan, giving their lives to save his. Or I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, allowing himself to be killed by Darth Vader so that he can facilitate the escape of Luke and Han and Leia. Or there's Princess Anna from Frozen, sort of holding up, guarding her, her sister, Elsa, protecting her from the sword of death coming down, a picture of true love, or the story that became viral in this coronavirus crisis, even though we're not sure it's actually true, was of the Catholic priest, Don Baradelli, 72-year-old man who apparently had a ventilator, but seeing that he He's older, he chose to give up his ventilator to a younger person, knowing that that might result in him dying so that another might 
live. What, what touches us about these stories? I think it speaks to the greatest story of all, the ultimate love, the greatest sacrifice, God coming to make a way so that we sinful people could be cleansed of our sin and find friendship with God. He's amazing, but he's not just a savior. He's also our advocate. He has an adversarial friendship for us. He stands in our defense to the Father, pleading our case before him. Not a, a, an emotional case, but a, a logical, powerful case based on the justice of the cross. He's saying, I have died on the cross. I paid the penalty. Jesus cries out from the cross, tetelestai, paid in full. It means in the Greek, he's stamped with blood, paid in full over our sin debt, past, present, and future. He's saying, you can't punish them again. I, I've done it all. And God is the comforter, the encourager par excellence. One of Jesus' names is Emmanuel. It means God with us. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He's this fourth extraordinary figure there in their time of trial. God was with them. God was with Daniel. When he's there in the lion's den, making sure that the mouths of the lions are shut, that Daniel is saved. God is with his people in times of trial and difficulty, and he'll be with you through the coronavirus crisis. Right now and in the future, as all these what ifs, what happens in the future, what, how will we go back to things, will I be okay on re-entry, will life ever return to normal again? I tell you through it all, the one thing I know that is certain is that God will be with his people. God has promised, Jesus promised, he says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. And he seals that promise, he guarantees that promise. Together with the Father, they send the Holy Spirit to those who believe to remind us and teach us all of the truth, to let it go deep into our hearts, that all the truth that Jesus spoke about that's revealed in scripture, making it come alive to us. And the Holy Spirit takes work inside us to assure us who we really are, that we are the beloved children. Romans chapter eight, verse 16, the Abba heart cried, Daddy, we are his children and we're safe forever. God is an amazing, amazing comforter and encourager through his presence. I think of Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's interesting, Sam starts off, he's just the, the, he's just the gardener, hidden sort of behind the scenes character in the beginning for the Baggins family. Um, it's a bit like God right at the beginning of the Bible. He spit behind the scenes as, you know, kind of as, and he's a gardener in that sense. It's a very little clever thing that J.R.R. Tolkien, the author does. I think it might be intentional. Um, and Sam sticks closer to Frodo than a brother throughout the whole story. And right in the middle of it, there's a moment where it just looks so, so utterly hopeless. Things are very dark, and Sam gets hold of his friend Frodo, looks him right in the eyes, and tells him not to give up. There's a new day coming, he says. There is still some good in this world that is worth fighting for. And as things move on towards the end of the story, the power of this ring of power, this picture of sin that Frodo is carrying starts to corrupt him even more. And he's cruel and unkind to, to his friend, Sam. 
Does Sam turn his back on him? No, ultimately Sam comes back, picks up his friend Frodo on his back and through much hardship and difficulty climbs all the way up Mount Doom carrying his friend to help his friend finish his mission to destroy the Ring of Power. I tell you, as great as a friend Sam is, God is a much, much, much better friend to you. He is the friend you can rely on perfectly and totally, who offers you absolute acceptance, total security, and tremendous significance in his service. His loving, radical friendship sets us free from our fears so we can be true friends to others. What might that friendship look like for us here, this family of committed friends at Westminster Chapel? Well, I don't consider myself to be a great friend, so I thought, okay, I'm gonna phone a friend and I'm gonna think of who's one of the great friends that I know who's in my life and what advice would they have? That friend, of course, is Kieran Grogan. Some of his advice, it's a summarized version um, and we'll hope to post the full version online on the website later. Point number one, acknowledge people and smile. Um, This is how we build, how we start friendships. You can still do this even though it's from two meters away, obviously if you're not kind of wearing a mask, but at least you could say hi uh, and you could share appreciation for people serving you at the supermarkets, making deliveries and things like that. Making people feel special and valued is how friendships start. That's the first piece of advice. The second is be there in the moment. Be there in the moment when people need you most. Don't be distracted. Don't be like looking at your phone, doing other things like that. If you're on a Zoom call or a Skype or whatever you're using right now to connect with people, look down the camera where you can to try and make meaningful contact with the other person. Don't don't look at the screen down here because it doesn't quite look down the camera and be present with them. Don't be like you're using your mouse, doing other bits of work and around and all that kind of stuff. Look, look at the person. Give them your full attention. Make them feel like they are the most important person person to you right now. The third thing is take time to encourage someone. People really need encouragement. I hope I've labored that enough. And you'd be surprised at the people who need it. Don't just assume uh, if someone does something well that other people will be the voice of encouragement, that they know they've done it well. They often don't. So say something. Be positive. Draw out that what was good that someone did. Lift it up. Praise it. Give thanks for that person um, for it. And don't assume that people will be like you. Uh, in the way of what they need in this area of support and encouragement. So people grieve very differently. All different ways of grieving are legitimate, they're okay. Um, But you might think, I don't want anybody to contact me if I was grieving, I just wanna be on my own. Others may not feel like that at all. And I I would just say, assume people want your contact, want your encouragement, unless they expressly, very clearly tell you otherwise. The fourth thing is, Be obedient to Holy Spirit promptings. If there's a moment as you're going about your day and someone comes to your mind, um, follow up on it. God may very well be using you to bring hope and encouragement and strength to that person. So more of those be on the website soon. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, 
that if we want to have friends, we need to show ourselves as friendly. Showing ourselves as being friendly is one of the great ways out of loneliness. Not just for ourselves, but for so many other people. As we do that, we collectively build friendship and all come out of loneliness together. And it matters, matters for the church. It matters for those who don't yet know Jesus, that we want to introduce them to God, to the greatest friend they could ever have in the world. And I want them to see that in our friendship and we want them to taste it in the friendship we have with them. Another route out of friendship is to join a local church, is to belong. It's interesting that the greatest need that human, pe- human beings are said to have, and they've done research on this, is actually belonging. It's not you know, personal freedom, self-esteem. It's not you know, job, career, family, great marriage, all of that sort of stuff. It's not even food or shelter. The number one need that human beings have is to belong, to belong. And the local church, certainly here at Westminster Chapel, it's all about belonging, that this is your spiritual home in this world. And we'd love you to join and experience that. Our our route into really belonging and feeling that sense of belonging is to become a member. And down at the bottom of the screen, um, you'll see, if you're watching on YouTube, that you'll see a whole load of links. And there'll be a link there about how how do you become a member of Westminster Chapel? We'd love you to do that. I'm drawing to a close now and we're going to pray and then worship our great God. But I just want to summarize and say, it's amazing. The God of all glory stoops down. He condescends. I mean, he inconveniences himself. How? I mean, what an understatement that is. The cross is more than an inconvenience. It's an extraordinary expression of sacrificial love so that we, so that you could be his friends. How do we become his friends? We just acknowledge and accept our sin. We repent, we turn from it, and we say yes to Jesus. And through experiencing his friendship, he empowers us to be great friends to others. Others in the church family and others outside of the church as well. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Devote yourselves to each other with a brotherly love, honoring one another above yourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are our greatest friend. Lord, we thank you that you are the friend of sinners. Even though we're so unworthy, we're so dirty by the mess that we make of our lives, that you still choose to be our friend, to clean us up, to give us access to you through the cross. God, help us to know and experience your sacrificial, adversarial, your encouraging, comforting friendship in our lives right now through this crisis, Lord. Help us to build and courageously deepen our friendships across the church. Help us to live this friendship out so, so well and wide and let it trickle over outside of the church. Help us to reveal to the world and all those who are lonely right now the friendship that is available to them in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. Help us to worship you now and to give thanks for your extraordinary friendship of us, us sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. 
visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.